This is a podcast from The Times. Go to thetimes.co.uk. Welcome to The Game, the podcast that New England would beat Spain all along. Joining me this week are Alison Rudd, Tony Cascarino, and from some lovely place in the Midlands, it's Peter Lansley. Later on, I'll be asking uh, the panel if it really matters what a stadium is called. But let's start with some international football. Who's excited? Okay, how about we start at Wembley? Um, I'm not going to get into this whole, like, England beat the world champions, so they're world champions, because, of course, uh, Argentina's beaten them, um, Portugal has beaten them, even little old Italy has beaten them. Um, But, Peter, you're the biggest England fan here. Um, Feels kind of good to beat Spain, right? It does, absolutely. I mean, it's a nice notch on the bedpost, so to speak, metaphorically speaking. And also now we've... We're going to make Pardon? Did you say notch on the bedpost? I did, yeah. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, in football terminology, in football terms, I think we can call it that. Okay. And um, we've, we've shown that there are going to be superior opponents to that, to England. We know that. So let's acknowledge that, see where we are in the rankings, and work off that. When we, beat, when we face superior opponents, we need a different plan. We need to be able to say, OK, we're not going to control possession and have Rooney and Wilshere just marauding about with lovely one-twos. So what are we going to do to beat superior opponents? Well, uh, Alison, the answer seemed to me to be, let's be very defensive, let's play 4-5-1, let's have Milner as an, uh, as an adjunct fullback, and uh, um, let's try to score a goal on a set piece, which is kind of what happened, right? Yeah, I think, I think the, the victory poses um, quite a deep philosophical question for England, actually, because England decided not to try to play in a particular style or play to any particular strengths they focused entirely on what they could do to stop the superior team playing and in so doing we saw what is good about England which is um, energy and commitment and passion and what I like most about the England performance was there's a sense of team and camaraderie which often you don't get when they're playing teams that they're supposed to beat but the philosophical point is that was um, very Capello-esque. It was uh, tactical. This is what we have to do to beat Spain. We do park the bus. And I know I no one in the England camp is pretending that, that that isn't what the tactic was. But what are you left with? When England play um, a team they are expected to beat, what are they left with? What is what is the England, what is the Englishness that they um, for, forewent, <laughs> that they didn't apply in order to face Spain? What are they left with? And I, I think... If you're going to learn from beating Spain, um, I think I think the point you have to take from it is that we don't have a style the way that Spain have a very distinctive style. You have to say, why don't England do this? Why don't we take each opponent, dissect what they've got, and apply um, spirit, passion, and Premier League style go get them at them uh, to each opponent? But are you suggesting changing it for each opponent, chameleon-like, be the uber pragmatists, or are yes, you suggesting because, yes, I, I actually, like I this actually would. I think, I think almost as it comes out of my mouth, that sounds like a quite a scary thing to say. But I think I don't think we have anything else. I think actually that might be the way to be reasonably successful at the Euros. Which is what? I'm sorry, is it, I, is I'm to okay. change depending on the opponent, D- decide, or yeah. simply play like this against everybody? No, no horses for courses, yeah. surely. That's what I'm saying. Right, that's kind of been. Capello's shtick 
all along, hasn't it? Well, no, but there's been an underlying current that England are reasonably high in the FIFA rankings yeah. and are the, 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 you know, we, we invented football. England have some sort of superiority complex. Well, if we can abandon that and just play every team with an element of humility I suppose I, that's what I'm saying there was a lot of humility in facing Spain okay. in saying we have nothing to offer we have nothing to offer we'll just let but, Darren Bent buzz around up front we don't even care if he gets the ball or not let's just stop Spain playing to and, be fair though Alison on that point when's the last time England played somebody as good as Spain in somebody who on paper was clearly so far ahead throughout Capello's tenure I think I think you could go through every opponent and say they had if not uh, in ranking terms better than England they have something superior in terms of you could say this is how they play yeah, this, well, is, this is this is this is what we're faced with and England usually ignore it well, did, and it's I, all about what England have you know whether you, whether you whether you play Frank Lampard or not good, or, or Jack Wilshere or not and it's all about the individuals it's whether Rooney plays as an off striker in, in midfield it's all it's all insular but Cass, isn't that good if you're playing against opponents who aren't as good as you or who you feel are equal to you? And again, I go back to I think just about everybody England has played, even the, the ones that they lost to under Capello's tenure, with the exception of Spain. Um, generally, England felt that they could beat, and probably rightly so. I mean, mm. am, am, I, am I wrong? On, if that's the case, shouldn't you go and play your own game against them rather than... What is our... What, what, someone tell me then, what is our own game? Well, I'd say the game that led you to qualify for two major tournaments, win nine and ten. No, but, but what is it? Well, the, under under Capello, the game has been trying trying to base it around um, Rooney and uh, and Jared early. I'm talking about throughout the throughout the tenure. Later on, Wilshire. Obviously, all those guys weren't there, so I I would imagine he probably thought, okay, well best thing to do is let's convince the players that they can beat Spain and they can do it without so many of the big stars because you know I'm sorry let's not forget this was an England side without England's best player in my opinion Wayne Rooney uh, without Ashley Young without Steven Gerrard without you know we can giggle about Jack Wilshire John Terry I mean you know look at the guys who are out there right you now know that Jolyon Lescott at least once in his lifetime and, and, and Phil Jagielka can these two guys can go on the pitch against all these little dudes who run around and the ball's like stuck to their pitch or whatever stuck to, stuck to their feet and they can do a decent yeah, I job thought, I, thought, I thought they both played incredibly well yeah. I, I think one one problem we're, we're going to have uh, you know me looking on and watching England is say we no, I, I mean us here looking, oh, okay. looking right. at okay. the game. Right. I don't mean we as in English people. Okay. <laughs> um, I I found it that you are relying on a lot of things to go for you on the on the day. If you're going to attempt to play that tactic, um, which I can understand because there isn't many teams in, well, there isn't any world teams I don't think who can keep the ball as well as well as Spain do with the movement and the technical ability. But you've got to rely on them missing chances, which they did. I mean, Fabregas came on. The last 15 minutes, he had three chances to score a goal. He could have walked off a hat-trick, Fabregas. Um, and I think if you're going to rely on teams missing chances, your goalkeeper playing well, your, your defenders making last-ditch challenges, I think it could work on, on a one-off occasion. I'm not quite sure going into the Euros next year if they meet Spain and they adopt the same tactic, I think they'll come off second best because I think nine times out of ten you get beat. So I do think England have to offer a lot more problems than they did to negate the game so just redundant as a, an adventurous team going forward because that's what England were Alison touched on Darren Bent Darren Bent was, will never get goals 
really on a regular basis if he was to ask to play that role on a regular basis look the difference is could would you get away with playing Swin, uh, Sweden on Tuesday night and attempting to do the same thing the crowd would be booing no you can't but you are you are playing a very different opponent aren't you Cash You've got well that's it. right Peter that's what Alison's just touched on the tactics of of you know every opponent do you apply what you think is your best way of beating them well that's fine but you've got to have a you've got to have a construct a team that everybody is off the same hymn sheet singing off the same hymn sheet in everything they do you can't just keep switching from adventurous to defensive and negative you've got to have it it's got to be a lot more than just that so you can't be sure you shouldn't be pragmatic and chameleon like that's what you're saying well you, if you're going to attempt to do it you've got to make sure that every player you've got three days to work with these players between well, these international duty sorry these guys managed to do it I mean that, that was pretty much well, Spain, Spain. At, at, at full strength I mean you can argue Puyol maybe but I mean you know the guy's been Gap, hurt for Gap, the last for love months, no money, so. for love no money if Spain were to play England again tomorrow in the Euros would you really think that England would beat them again why well, I, I don't know but a very I mean, one-off t- chance but I I mean I haven't spoken to enough people in Spain yeah it's a friendly and so on mm. but if that if if England would have come off with a defeat which quite conceivably have happened on, uh, on Saturday mm. Capello would have got buried for it's attempting not, not, but I have to say this that Capello's not going to be buried anymore be. no no and not, not any more than he already is I mean I I've lived in this country for 16 years and with the exception of sort of immediately after you guys getting knocked out of a World Cup or, or Euros I don't think I've seen things this bad in terms of in terms of confidence and, and belief and I think it's it's pretty clear what's going on I mean the FA have created a lame duck manager situation I mean, we can go back and ask yourself should they have just eaten his wages and got rid of him after the World Cup or whatever else they're certainly not helping the situation now with all this red nap chatter and all the leaks that come out of there and the, the new manager and this and that um, so now nobody's excited nobody cares um, oh I disagree I, I don't think so. I mean, uh, Peter, I, in, in terms of the media, I mean, if you read some of these newspapers, it's it's kind of like, you know, he's just a yammering fool. The, 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 his English doesn't make any sense. You know, it wasn't a problem when he just moved here, funnily enough. Um, I mean, I, I might say nobody cares. I don't mean that, that there aren't a lot of England fans who care, but from the perspective of the media, it's almost as if we're expecting a colossal flop from England and nobody uh. seems to be excited. Or am, am I wrong? Okay, the sense of excitement might have diminished, but what I think people would get most excited about is England winning or getting to the last four of a major tournament. I think now that expectations have gone down, the golden generation's moved on, etc., people have stopped thinking, yep, yeah, we can whoop Spain, Germany, France, play them at their own game, be better than them at their game. Instead of that, people are saying, okay, Ferdinand's creaking, you know, Terran Gerard Lampard might just hang on for this tournament, but we are bringing a new generation through who are more adaptable, who are comfortable on the ball and therefore can play different systems. With expectations lower, I think we will do better next summer. Um, I, I, I want to throw this out there, uh, Alison, because I ask myself right now, who is guaranteed to start for England um, at Euro 2012? I mean, reasonably guaranteed. And I'd submit, I can only think of three people, and one of them is going to be suspended. Um, and that's Rooney, Hart, and Ashley Cole. It seems to me that in one way or another, every other position is up for grabs. It, it, is that an accurate reading? 
I think it's probably easier to, to say who's guaranteed a squad place than an actual starting lineup. But that brings us back to the beginning, which is that's the way it should be. You should starting lineup should be not dictated by who's the most fated player at that moment. Oh, you know, it might be that Ashley Young's playing really well. Oh, he's got to be. He's got to be in the starting lineup. No, he hasn't. He might not be the right player for the opposition we draw at the Euros. Let's be pragmatic. So you don't have a problem with that, yeah? No, Cass, I think it's it, a good. I think it's I turn it on its head. I think it's a good thing. Cass, is it a strength when uh, when you only have three people who are pretty much penciled in as, as, as starters? Well, I could certainly add a fourth in. I think Scotty Parker is guaranteed. Mm. I think his performances, I'd be amazed if he was to be left out. Apart from Scott Parker, anybody else? Uh, well, again, comes to fitness. I think if, if you're looking at Wiltshire, I think he's a definite starter yeah. of his fit. And I think Gerard, if Gerard comes back from his injury and he's flying, he's a definite starter because you could not leave Stephen Gerard out. So I would argue five or six. I mean, look, they're down to injuries and, and some of the ones we've already mentioned might not make it because you can easily get injured before the start right. of performance. Peter, anybody else that we've overlooked who you think will definitely... Because none of you have mentioned the England captain right now. No, well, he's creaking as things are, isn't he? On on af- and off the field. He hasn't been in his best form this season. We we dissected that Arsenal-Chelsea game, didn't we? That Chelsea-Arsenal game. Um, so, no, I don't think John Terry's an automatic pick, especially the progress that Phil Jones is making. I know right and left. Um... One other, uh, on, on Spain a little bit, um, because, I mean, they really are, I think, on, on the cusp of, of being considered one of the greatest sides ever. I think if they win the Euros, it's going to be hard to argue that they're not, no team has ever won three straight major international tournaments. Um, Germany and Brazil have won two straight, as has, uh, as has Spain. Um, you know, they have, this, they have this ridiculous win streak, this ridiculous undefeated streak. Um... But from what you what you guys saw, did they did they look right to you? Were they what you expected? Did you think because this sort of system of not having it was even more of a free flowing strikerless system um, than we saw at the World Cup, Allison? Well, I enjoyed like I enjoyed what I saw, and I found it uh, really hypnotic. I couldn't take my eyes off Alonso, just partly because I miss him desperately, <laughs> Anfield, but that. It's uh, and I think I think a lot of build-up reflected that it's almost alien football. We don't see that very often in this country. That that that, that patience and it's there's something special about work ethic apply, um, combined with the, te- the high level of technical ability. Um, the Spain we saw at Wembley, I. I mean, I don't know what the camps like, but they do. They do have this problem with friendlies, and I, I do wonder if they just. I mean, the be- the very best teams use friendlies in the right way, which is to sort of try things out. And I, I, I can't. You know, if they are losing so many friendlies, I can't. I can I can only conclude that they don't use them because it's all about the winning. I mean, if you're world champion, you don't really need to prove you can win. You use it just to try out different things and take a more relaxed approach I I wouldn't conclude from the performance at Wembley that they're going to creak at the Euros no one thing's for sure they're, they're midfield and going forward and creating chances and whether they take them is sensational you know they just open you up at will and they do it with incredible technical ability and players that are always on, on the move I think the only weakness is Spain is their back four um, I do think they're vulnerable uh, they look like you can score at times against them and 
I think if teams are a bit braver, you could even expose their back four more than England attempted to do. Uh, but with the ball, there's no team like it, I think. What, what I'm seeing, because it's, I mean, from Silva to Fabregas to Xavi to Iniesta, Villa, their movement is just incredible to watch. Um, at the moment they lose the ball, teams don't really seriously want to try and ask too many questions against them, which I do think that you can do. I want to leave you guys with one, one thought here. I am struck by how Iker Casillas, who, who passed uh, Subisareta uh, winning his 126 cap, or, or I think he, sorry, he equalized uh, Subisareta's record. I mean, he's the undoubted number one. He's got three, four years left. And I look at Pepe Reina, and I look at Victor Valdez, um, Valdez Catalan. Um, and these guys are so happy to be a part of the Spanish team, even though they get as much playing time for Spain as you do, Cass. And then I look at England's reserve goalkeepers. I look at Paul Robinson, Robert Green, people like that. People who turn their back on their country. And I'm not English, care less, but it really just strikes me as cheap and selfish Mm. and stupid what these people are doing. and you're not English either, um, <laughs> in some ways. Um, well, I but, can answer that question. Yeah. Because I turned up, uh, played 19 years. Uh, I'm not going to give myself a pat on the back here, by the way. Have you retired from no. international? Did you ever make <laughs> it? No, I've got two match suspensions, so I, oh, right. I still can't play the first two games of the Euros. <laughs> um, I, I turned up at 38, and from the years of 34 to 38, I was really just coming along to be a squad member. I still felt I had a role to play. Um, not only to let everybody know that the importance of playing for Ireland for me it was very big and I think Reina and certainly Valdez turn up for Spain not because they're World Cup winners I think there's a bigger issue about the loyalty because you need loyalty unity a group that everyone's singing off the same hymn sheet you're really pulling in the same direction and it's a desire to win I, I know and I won't name names I know there's a good few England players who saw international football as a hindrance they just thought, what do I want to go down to Wembley, sit on my bench, be away from the missus and the kids for the weekend. I can spend four or five days in London. I'm not going to play. Not really bothered. And I know, I know some of them. And I've heard that comment made. Um, and, and that really typifies to me the problem you have with a group. Because the whole 22-man squad, is what, or 23 when you go away, um, has to be together. And people who are not playing don't have an ego, a selfish ego, about not playing. You still work really hard for your fellow striker, for your fellow goalkeeper, that everyone's working together. And I, I sadly think that's where the goalkeeping problems come from. There's too many I, selfish egos. You, you might be right when it comes to outfield players, but I think it's different for the goalkeepers. I think the England goalkeepers that have got cross with their country and or you'd call it turning their back on the country, it's not because they haven't been picked. It's because they've been picked and then treated badly. Mm. Or you have they you make one error. Well. You make one error as a goalkeeper. It's worth twenty from an outfield player, and you're, you're made to you're made to a scapegoat. Uh, it's it, each goalkeeper who's so like Robert Green. I think he's a very fine goalkeeper. He's been. And mm. I, I know he can he can quite legitimately claim not to have been treated well. Pepe Reina has never been treated badly. He just oh, accepts. No. He just accepts. There's a better goalkeeper than me, and I love Pepe being Reina, the backup. Sorry, you think Pepe? Reina thinks, oh, Iker Casillas is clearly better than me. You really, really think he believes that? 
Well, I think, I think he accepts that it's badly. a reasonable assumption. He's right. a great goalkeeper, okay. so Casillas. when I'm Robert Green, I go to the World Cup and I make a massive blunder, which yeah. ultimately, that on its own, by the way, leaving aside how terrible England were, is responsible for England playing Germany in the next round. I should feel slighted because I get dropped for David James, yes? that that's, And then I should go and retire from international football. You know what? I'm glad. I'm going to have a little rant here. You know, I am glad that these people's careers have gone nowhere, okay? Paul Robinson plays for a freak show team, right, with, with freak show owners and a manager who's about to get the sack, right? I'm happy for him. Enjoy the championship next year, right? The, um, this, the, the other one with Sam Allardyce and, and, and Karen Brady and whatever, you enjoy the championship too with your fellow England players who went to the World Cup and you got you relegated and Kevin Nolan on, on 70 grand a week, right? Because that is your level right now. I, I don't understand how you can possibly turn your back on your country when you're in mid-career, when there's really only one person in front of you, by the way, and Joe Hart. I think the real reason is that these people are terrified, terrified that Joe Hart might get injured or suspended, and then it's going to be them in the spotlight for England again. And this way, they don't have to, they, they can just avoid it. They can go play for, for crummy teams, well, one of them plays for a crummy team where it doesn't matter how many goals he concedes. Uh, the other one plays for uh, p- plays for West Ham where they're going to steamroller everybody in, in the championship, and that's fine and nobody cares. But, I mean, I, as people, I, I don't understand this. And I think this is different, by the way, from, from Carragher and Scholes who put in many, many years playing for England before they, b- before they announced their retirement. Can I, uh, during the World Cup 90, I, I played centre-forward and in the qualifying campaign leading up to World Cup 90, I was a top goal scorer at a fantastic fantastic tournament got to the world cup we played england we drew 1-1 it was a bit of a horrible night as you remember in a horror hey i'm ryan reynolds recently i asked mint mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation they said yes and then when i asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts they said what the f*** are you talking about you insane hollywood ass so to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Game. Didn't play particularly well, but played okay. We played Egypt on the next game. We drew 0-0 and I missed a golden chance in the game. And on the Wednesday, I was leaving the dinner on, on the night and Jack said, can I have a word? And I was like, yeah. And he went, you're not playing. And I went, sorry? He said, you're not playing It's the Dutch. I'm dropping you. And I said, Jack, I've done all these things in the qualifying campaign. I had an indifferent game against Egypt. Me to go, good chance. He went, no, you were crap. You're out. Quinny's in. And it was as cold as that. And I remember thinking, wow. But that's what it is. If you are going to make a horrendous mistake or miss a chance, not just being a goalkeeper, if you're going to be a centre-forward and you miss a golden opportunity to, to win your game, managers are prepared to make decisions like that. And he was proved right, because Noel Quinn in the game against Dutch went in, played the game and scored. Well, Got us through. It's, so it's, it's proven right. And so if Quinn had played terribly and you guys had lost 10-0 and you yeah. would have gone home in disgrace, it would have been Jack Charlton who would have been sacked Exactly. Not you. So that's um, the, the line. Let's give Peter the last word on this. I think it's because, I know we're not allowed to turn on the media because we're part of it, but I think it's because when an England goalkeeper makes a big mistake in a big tournament, 
we make him a national scapegoat and it's not just that he's been treated badly because he's dropped or whatever I don't think that's being treated badly it's because we turn them into national scapegoats because there's such a negative attention when a team lets a goal in and it's the goalkeeper who's the last man we make him an absolute villain. I think that's why everyone else has turned their back on the job. Exactly. You started off by saying, why why is Spain so united? Why do the goalkeepers stick with the team when they're not playing? It's cultural. In, In this country, even... At kids' level, that's why we don't play the beautiful game, because at kids' level we don't. At kids' level, goalkeeper is always a scapegoat. David Seaman, um, who I'm not the biggest fan, I'm just going to leave you with this thought, who I'm certainly not his biggest fan um, as a goalkeeper, he's made some colossal blunders for England. Absolutely colossal. You remember that? Let's all do the Seaman. Let's all do you remember that. Yeah? Okay. Did he turn his back on his country after he was absolutely crucified? No. He was always available for selection until the very, very end. Because I think David Seaman is a man. Okay, that our debate this week. I think um, we'll pit traditionalists against um, real-world, um, laissez-faire, free marketeers like Cascarino there, the poker star. Um, but it started at St. James Park, uh, which, of course, will now be known as the Sports Direct Arena. Now, a little bit of background on this. Um, Sports Direct is a company owned by, uh, by Mike Ashley. And as I understand it, he's not actually paying to have his uh, his logo on there, um, but he's doing it to sort of show other corporations around the world. Look, you know this corporate logo here gets this much exposure, and isn't it great? And don't you want to give us money um, to have your logo on here? Personally, I feel a lot better about it if um, Sports Direct actually paid Newcastle for the rights. It's still Mike Ashley moving money around, and mm. also if. Newcastle qualify for Europe and stay in Europe, it would also have important financial fair play imp- implications. Instead, he's, he's done it for free, whatever, that's his decision. Um, but I think we can all agree that this is not something that's likely to go away. Um, Alison, let's start with you. How do you feel about it? Does your, does your sensitivity as an uh, old school football fan, does that clash with the... Uh, Real world corporate um, needs? No, I don't think it does. You don't I care? think no. Well, I think I think the sensible way to view this is, and it's the Newcastle fans that are horrified. Is well, aren't you lucky, Newcastle fans, that you have a stadium despite never having won anything? You have a stadium that's big enough in the modern football world to to be full and and make money from uh, seat tickets and you don't need a new stadium. If you did need a new stadium, it would be called something else, wouldn't it? So you can stay where you are in your traditional ground and make a bit of dosh by having someone uh, apply naming rights to it. I think of all the scenarios that there are swinging around in the Premier League and below uh, clubs trying to make ends meet, that is a pretty decent one. Cass, are you buying into this row politic? Well, football's moved on from a long, long time uh, ago where you know clubs are looking at every angle to make money I, I can sort of understand that, that he wants to name the club uh, for sporting rights um, uh, but I also agree with what you said that you know if he was prepared to put dip in his own pocket but he might argue well he's done a lot of that already yeah, I have some, 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 some numbers for you um, over the past five years Newcastle have lost on average 20 million pounds um, and um, sorry <laughs> Over the past five years, Newcastle have lost on average close to £20 million. And that's despite the fact that they've actually made profits on player sales um, in most of those years. If you 
if you imagine Newcastle breaking even on pro, uh, on, on player sales all these years, uh, then their losses would be closer to thirty million pounds a year over the last five seasons. I, I don't really like Mike Ashley, but and it's not as if he's necessarily putting in his own pocket, but that's all debt that's piled onto the club, and the club mm-hmm. is his asset. So, effectively, um, this is costing Mike Ashley money year after year. Mm. Which so, I'm sure he loathes doing. You know, I, 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 t- I spoke to someone who's close to the very uh, to Bristol City chairman who, who dipped into his own pocket at 12 million uh, in a championship for, for one season. And you sort of think, well, these billionaire owners, they don't get very wealthy by keep dipping in their own pockets they want to make these businesses work and if it means naming the club rights um, I'm sure the fans would would be okay as long as they're seeing the benefit on the football pitch because fans live and die by how their team's doing I mean it's quite ironic that Newcastle all these sporting rights is coming out now when Newcastle have had an incredible start to the season um, I, I don't think it's ironic I, I think it's probably I think it's a bit of a coincidence no no I, I but think it's, it's not, it's not I, burying it's, bad news when, it, when are you going to if, you, if you're going to well, sell the naming rights sell them when everyone thinks he, are talking about the club he made the announcement at a time during international break at a time when Newcastle's next home game was on December 3rd so some two and a half weeks later um, I guarantee you that if he you know he wouldn't have made the announcement on the eve of their next home match that would have been that would have been foolish but of course he had to to tell people at, at some point that this was happening to me that the central issue here is you talk to football fans and you ask what they want and I think we in the media and a lot of club owners say, well, football fans want to win. They're putting pressure on us. Do you want? I don't think so. I think the football fans who go to matches, I think what they want is they want a team that's stable. They want a team that's that's debt-free. They want prices to be low. And they want a team that goes out and, and tries every game. Um, I don't think they necessarily want to live the dream Peter Ridsdale style. I mean, am, am I wrong in this, Alison? Well, they've almost got that at Newcastle now, haven't they? Almost mm. by default. I mean, I do think Newcastle fans need to slap themselves around the face a bit. You know, these are good times and they could get very, very much better if they just if they go with it in a sense, without going crazy because they're playing well at the moment. Go, you know, get. I mean, it's very astute business tactic to get new money into the club at a time when everyone's writing good things about them and their results are good. That is astute. I mean, well, you can't, you can't, you yet. can't just don't keep keep clinging hold, clinging hold of your hatred of the man. He's there. Let's see if he and he got in a manager you thought was going to be rubbish. He's he's turned out to be really rather good for now. Give him credit. Give him credit. Well, it, all football is for now. Should the fans make that that stance? And if they do, they should actually listen. Well, first and foremost, I mean, you touched on Peter Ridsdale earlier, and I hate it when board members, chairman, uh, you know, whoever chief execs of football clubs act like fans because they're not they're not enrolled to act like fans. They have to use their brain. Um, I don't mind when they act like fans and they put their to own edu- money in. Well, you got when they put somebody else's money in or just pile the on the club that's when I have a problem yeah well I think as long as you educate your fans and you explain and you're very open you're very transparent about what you're doing and the reasons why you're doing it fans will understand and then I think they'll they'll side with your way of thinking that it's you know it's like moving a new stadium fans might Everton fans probably hate to move from where they are at the moment but the club's trying to explain they have to move to, to continue to be a, a successful club in the premiership and, and it won't be called Goodison Park yeah, will it, it but no one will talk about that being the big deal that it's no, not called Goodison it, anymore I mean, from from some of the feedback I've had via Twitter and stuff is that people can accept it more if you're moving to a new ground, like when when Arsenal moved to the to, to the Emirates or when um, 
um, well, when, when Bolton moved to, to the Reebok Stadium, that you can kind of accept that. Well, because it was exceptional. Arsenal fans knew they were getting a fantastic deal. No, it deal. wasn't, but because they were moving. Had they renamed Highbury, I think people would have viewed it in a different light. That is so ridiculous. Just step back and think, that is so ridiculous. Okay, so if I called, so let's say, sorry, I think it's, I'm not, I'm not outing you here. I think people know you're a Liverpool fan. So if John yes, W. Yes, Henry, yes, yes, no, I would rather be, I'd rather Liverpool stayed at Anfield and it was called something else than moved to a new stadium that's called something okay, else. Okay, no, no, so, so, if John w, so if John W. Henry right now comes out and says, guess what, we can stay here for the next, uh, uh, we can stay here at Anfield for the next 10 years because Halliburton, or no, better yet, Blackwater are, are coming in and they're sponsoring the stadium to the tune of, of 30 million, or Philip Morris, right? Would you, would you be happy with that? I'm not, I'm not saying I'd jump that? up and down, but it, I, I would rather that than move to a new stadium and have both a double whammy of a new name and a new stadium. If you can redevelop the stadium you've got, or as in Newcastle's case, your stadium is big enough and lovely enough. You've got a lovely stadium. Be happy. Peter, there's been a bunch of new stadiums in the um, in, in in the Midlands, mm. uh, Walkers and um, Pride well, Park King and so. Power. Sorry, King Power Stadium now, Leicester. You say, what the hell is King Power? It's um, the the Leicester the Thai owners. That's their um, that's their uh, what they work in. The um, okay, but if I want to buy a product or a good or service from King Power, what do I have to do? Move to Thailand and, yeah, and get connected the, to the electrical um, it's grid. The, it's the airport shops. It's where you go through. It's um, the duty free shops in Thailand are called King Power. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's what they are advertising. So nip over to Thailand, go through the custom, the uh, the duty free, and pick up your King Power products. Yeah, I, I I know it's a globalized game and everything, but I just don't understand why a brand that isn't even for sale in this country, which is where football clubs get the vast majority of the revenues from, would want to advertise. Do, they, do we know how much they pay at Leicester? No, it's, um, things aren't that transparent at Leicester. I'm not sure um, how much they put into it for, the, for any naming rights. It's all part of the whole shirt, ground, right. entire club deal. What are you going on about? Well, the, the name, because the brand's not on sale in this country. You know the Premier League goes out to about 35, 40, right. maybe even more countries in, world, in the world. what I'm saying is I always look at, are things making commercial sense? So when Manchester United, and I, because and I, 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 this has been a bugbear of mine, I think when it comes to sponsors, people often sign sponsorship contracts without any kind of valid commercial sense. They do it because some of these people who are in charge of sponsorship money, I think, either think like like fans or have ulterior motives or aren't very clever or sometimes are too clever. So you tell me, right, when, when Manchester United were sponsored by AIG, that's obviously a global brand, Manchester United goes everywhere and whatever, right? Mm. The King Power Stadium in Leicester, right? Leicester are not in the top flight. I, I'm assuming Leicester's fan base in Thailand isn't enormous. Well, they're hoping it will be. <laughs> but that's fine. But what? Yeah, but, but I don't how does it, how does association with a stadium maybe want to go? Maybe want to go to duty free shop? And I might add something else, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm not as familiar with Bangkok Airport as you are for obvious reasons. But when um. 
when you walk, when you want to buy duty-free products at Bangkok Airport, at the terminal, Peter, are there like five different shops, five different duty, identical duty-free shops, and one of them is King Power and the other four are called something else, and so you would choose yeah, the King the Power one? On it. They've got the Monopoly on it. They have the Monopoly on yeah. it, right? Okay, so if I want to get my, 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 my cheap booze or my cheap perfume at the airport in Bangkok, I have to go to King Power anyway, right? Yes, you do. <laughs> <laughs> Monopoly still advertise, Gab. It's about making people feel happy about purchasing through the Monopoly and making the decision to buy right. or not buy. That's not that is oh, not no. commercial. You know what we need to do one day. We I want to get one of no. these sponsorship people on, and they, they need to explain this to me because to me, so much of this Why? looks like voodoo and hocus pocus. Why do Coca Cola advertise? Why? Your argument. Why do they? Yeah. They don't need it's, to. It's an awareness up, isn't it? It maintains no, brand awareness. No, but they, but they do it because and, and there's their substitute products. Well, why stuff. wouldn't King Power do the same thing if they're looking to globalize and go big? Because if you go down to the corner shop, there's 50 different types of soda. <laughs> if you go to Bangkok Airport, you have to shop at King Power. Well, maybe they're go, they're <laughs> going to expand. I don't know. They're, they've obviously done it for a reason. The it name's be, out there. We're arguing about it now. So it's obviously making their brand even more powerful by yeah. letting people know. Okay. So when your local chain of King Power opens up on your high street, please let us know. Okay, now how about some quick hits? For the first time in five years, David Beckham is included in Major League Soccer's Team of the Season. Allison, he's going out of contract. Your your pal, Neil Warnock, says he won't sign him for QPR. I don't know if anybody actually asked him, but um, he's now been linked to Paris Saint-Germain. What do you think he should do, and what do you think he will do? I think he should give back to American soccer. It is littered, the history of American soccer, with people who go there and make a lot of money and then turn their back on it, and it's part of the reason why it's never taken off the way it should. And I think he's hinted that he would like to be more involved, maybe even own a club, and I think he should definitely do that. And I think what he will do, I think he will do that eventually, but I think he's so focused on having one last hurrah, he will sign for someone glamorous and and maybe not play enough, but that's what he'll do. Five years, that's been a long enough sentence out there from his perspective. It's nearly the end of November and no Premier League manager has yet been sacked, which I guess is good because it means we hear less from Richard Bevan. Unless, of course, when he's inventing things about uh, uh, Premier League owners uh, abolishing relegation. But let's not go there. Um, Peter, is this a coincidence or is it a trend? I think it's a trend. I think this is now the, it's the, the record length we've gone, isn't it, without a sacking going to this stage in November without dismissing a manager. I think people have looked back and seen, well, if we go and sack Steve Keane now, what would we do with the team? Would we be able to keep them up? If we sack Martinez, who's done wonders for Wigan, sacking now might bump up results for months, but then do we really have the players to keep them up? Um, so I think this is a trend, yeah. Barring a major act of God, the Republic of Ireland will be going to Euro 2012 following their 4-0 win in Estonia. Cass, do you like the scrappy counter-attacking version of your boys in green? And um, what would a good result at the Euros be? Well, first and foremost, they've been fantastic in their qualifying campaign. He's made us very, very difficult to beat. Me and you had a chat the other night, and I think Trapatone's done an amazing job considering a guy that took a wage reduction, uh, made Ireland such a difficult team to play against. Um, a good achievement. I think if they got out of the group, I think that'd be fantastic because I do believe that no one will enjoy playing them. Uh, and there's also what we talked about with England. There is a real ethic about a unity within the group, which is fantastic to watch. Match made in heaven. He was born on St. Patrick's Day, after all. Oh, didn't know that. You did not know that. Wow. Mm -hmm. There you go. 
A Japanese referee, Masaki Toma, became the first foreigner to take charge of an FA Cup game on Saturday as Brentford defeated Basingstoke 1-0. Allison, you're a qualified referee. Toma was part of a referee exchange, but should referees be allowed to go and ply their trade in other countries the way managers and players and, dare I say, journalists like myself do? <laughs> uh, yeah, they should. Um, I think familiarity breeds, it probably doesn't breed contempt, but it can breed laziness. And I think it probably would keep Toma on his toes to see the game at a different pace with um, different attitudes and players thinking they can get away with different sorts of things and I think it's a good reminder to the players um, to have a referee that they don't know uh, because you can sort of week in week out get used to thinking well I can get away with this and that um, you know the local referees we have they, they sort of overlook this particular infringement and to have someone who maybe goes by the book a bit more it sort of reinforces that the rules exist I hope the Premier League are paying attention you boast about having the best managers and the best players how about bringing in the very best referees and breaking up Mike Riley's cartel <laughs> Wiggins, Antolin Alcaraz, has been suspended for spitting at an opponent. Uh, Peter, I'll just read a statement and you can comment. I, I find this absolutely hilarious. Now, this mm. was on Wiggins' website. I apologize to anyone connected to our football club for the offense and upset and upset that my actions have caused. I reacted wrongly after being provoked, but I never meant to spit on an opposing players. I was having a confrontation with Christoph Berra, and in wanting to show my frustration, my intention was to spit on the ground uh, next to him, which was my way of answering the verbal abuse that I was receiving. Unfortunately, as you can see in the video evidence, my spit, instead of fighting the ground, regre regrettably struck Richard Stedman, I think he means Richard Stearman, so we can't even get the guy's name right, uh, in the chest. And I apologize to him for this. He, uh, he also added, I am hurting now because I know I cannot help my teammates in the next three games, and for that, I am very sorry. Uh, Peter, Dave Whelan has called Alcaraz disgusting, uh, or Alcaraz's actions disgusting. How do you try to spit at the ground and instead hit a six foot three center half in the chest? <laughs> it just about sums up Wigan's accuracy on that day, but at least I suppose he hit a target. I don't know whether he should get an extra game ban for such a ridiculous comment. If you're gobbing in the vicinity of an of a an opponent, you're very likely to hit him. It's such a load of baloney. I think he should be banned more or go on the comedy circuit. <laughs> Fair enough. I just thought it was funny. I, just, I, 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 I'm waiting for the day when somebody spits at an opponent and says, "Look, just be a man." All right, I spat at you. At least I didn't go and try to break your leg or kick you in the head or pee in your face. Okay, and just end it there. Give me my ban and let's move on. Carlos Tevez goes off to Argentina, apparently, without the club's permission, which I guess isn't news, but Gordon Taylor has warned that uh, Tevez may be on a self-destruct mission, which is news. Cass, you were a professional. Gordon Taylor seems to be sick of defending him, even though he's the head of the Players' Union. Uh, are you going to defend your colleague? No, um, he's on a self-destruct mission. Um, look, he's not playing football. And that's the bottom line. And if he, if he goes back to Argentina, whatever reasons he's got, he shouldn't have signed a five-year deal at Manchester City if he wasn't happy to be prepared. Yeah, of course, money was the major uh, reason why he's, got, he's, gone for the, he's gone for the treasure. But I, I just find it, I hate when I see players literally be redundant. And he's not playing. And I don't know the next time he is going to be playing. Um, it's a very sad situation for everybody, including Man City, because Tevez has let himself down, all professional footballers down, because he's actions have just they've made everybody have a sour taste in their mouth Gab here's one for you 
Portugal are held to a scoreless draw in Bosnia. So, are we going to have a European Championships without Cristiano Ronaldo? Uh, we might. Uh, Bosnia are a very good side. I mean, I think this is always um, the most delicately poised of the of the four playoffs. Um, it was a horrible pitch over in in, in Zenica in, in, in Bosnia, and Portugal blamed that. The reality, though, Portugal right now are a very disjointed side. Um, even though the individuals are good players. Bento isn't getting the best out of them. On top of that, he's fallen out very badly with Ricardo Carvalho and, uh, and Jose Basingua, who haven't been part of the team for a while. Um, this is going to be a major, major failure if they come up short. That's all we've got time for this week. You can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all your news, your gossip, your analysis, and your web chats. Mine's on Wednesday. Also, many of us are on Twitter. You can hit us up there, too. We look forward to hanging out with you. Hope you like hanging out with us. Till next week. Bye-bye. 